From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. And we're pleased to welcome in Katita Schloman, who is the Safe Environment Coordinator for the Diocese of Sacramento. Thank Katita, you, Bob. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Nice to be here. How do you like the environment here in this little <laughs> studio? Does it feel safe to you? It does. <laughs> very good. Very good. We are in about, uh, what is it, about a 8 by 8 10 by 10 room? About that. Yeah. The, I think it's the only room in the building that doesn't have a window. <laughs> it, you're right. At least right. a window to the outdoors. Yes. It does have windows. Yes. 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 But it's it's perfect for a radio studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. Katita, you've been at this job for 11 years now? 11 years, yes. Wow. Yes. Where were you before that? So I was home raising children. Uh, prior to that, I was an a elementary school teacher. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Here in Sacramento? Uh, in Southern California. Okay. Yep. So you came north. We came north, and uh, when our daughters were in elementary school, and uh, have been there, been here ever since. So, where were we in South Southern California? Uh, we were in San Juan Capistrano. Oh my yes. goodness! <laughs> yep. The beautiful mission. Beautiful. That's where I was married. Orange County. Oh, you were married yes. at the mission. Mm-hmm. I, uh, years ago, uh, we were we were going to uh, Legoland mm-hmm. when people said. You have to go to Legoland before your kids get to be a certain age. And so it was, they were right, right there, and they were all excited about it. And we spent the night in San Juan Capistrano on the way down and went to the mission the next morning. And, oh, my goodness, they had all these activities mm-hmm. f- for the kids. Yep. You know, uh, and it was what a beautiful town. It's a very, very special. But it was hard to leave. Very special place. It was very difficult to leave. Yeah. So, but like the swallows, we, we return right. every year yeah. and go back and visit. Do you go so. back on March 19th? <laughs> <laughs> Not always around the 19th, it was, it was but at really, some point. It was really funny because I discovered, I, I remembered from my childhood, there was a movie about the, Oh really? and there's a song. Yes. When this, and and, mm-hmm. and so we, we we played that on the way down, and they still make fun of it. Yeah, you know? it's a big deal celebration um, there every year. Do they keep so. swallows in cages just in case they don't show back up? I don't up? think so. <laughs> I don't think so. They don't always land right at the mission, but they're usually yeah. somewhere somewhere. Apparently, around. they had to. I forget. There was something where they had to to reconfigure something at the mission, and and the swallows kind of lost their they didn't nests like or something. It. Yeah, yeah, they didn't like it. Yeah, they disrupted their habitat. They painted habitat. it the wrong color or mm-hmm. something. something. Yeah. They didn't know where they were going. So, um, that, yes, great. but it's a beautiful, beautiful place, very really special is. to me. So. Yeah, I bet. That's yes. nice, nice to know. Well, um, safe environment, It all. Yeah, I guess it all started at least that part of the program what 2001 with the charter in dallas yes yeah, so the charter actually just um marked a 20th uh uh anniversary of of um when it was written back um in the early 2000s and this was the u.s conference of catholic bishops that's right that's right it was uh the document that really outlined um the church's responsibilities and um, requirements for ensuring a safe environment for uh, children and vulnerable uh, within each of the the U.S. dioceses. And there have been a few revisions over the years. The most recent one was, I believe, in 2018. As they put together the charter, were were there... guidelines to go on were there or were people just saying this this should work if we do this it was a sort of common sense so um you know uh canonically it had to be explored a certain way um but uh i don't know the that there was an in existence anything like that um prior um with uh, the revisions that have gone on, it's come out of the necessity to always be looking at safe environment and uh, never see it as a as a as a stagnant um, right. Uh, right entity. Like maybe this didn't work as well as we thought, mm-hmm. or this works better. Or, right. Yeah. One of the most recent uh, revisions included the language of vulnerable adults, um, which is very hard to to define. 
fine. But that language is now in the charter where initially it perhaps wasn't as clear. So um, it's 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 always being looked at. Um, it's taken into consultation with all of the bishops and, and everybody and, and how it should always be um, updated. So describe... If, if you had to describe your job to someone as safe environment coordinator for the Diocese of Sacramento, what's it, what does that entail? So there, there are practical matters that my department oversees. The, we, we process all of the um, uh, fingerprinting background checks on our volunteers, on our clergy, and on our employees. Um, so, you know, we have... Uh, specialized categories with the Department of Justice and um, allowing us to to process that information. Uh, we respond to daily subsequent arrest notifications that are attached to fingerprint clearances. Uh, we evaluate every report that comes in from DOJ to ensure that that, that person um, is a fit candidate to be in our schools and in our parishes. <clears throat> Uh, the second component is to uh, oversee um, uh, safe environment training, both for adults and and our youth. Uh, the training that we use for our adults is on recognizing and reporting child abuse, um, what to look for. Uh, the program we use is called Safe Haven. Mm-hmm. And that program is uh, is renewed every three years. That's what our diocese, what our bishop has decided, would be a fit time for uh, renewal, just mm-hmm. to keep that information fresh and ongoing. Um, and then the third component uh, for my department is a Circle of Grace training, which is a curriculum we use to train our children enrolled in our schools and in our parish faith formation programs on... Um, what boundary violations look like, uh, what a trusted adult should look like, who should they go to if, if something doesn't feel right. Um, and so those are the three parts that my department oversees. In addition, uh, um, I'm responsible for our yearly audit on all of this information. Uh, the diocese is audited every year on compliance with the Charter for the Protection of Children. And who, who conducts the audit? It's an outside auditing agency. So it's not the USCCB coming in. It's a, it's a business auditing firm back east, and they audit all of the dioceses for compliance. Um, every year, uh, we submit our training numbers and our information every third year. They are here and do a complex, deep-dive, on-site audit into all compliance issues. So if, if I want to drive on a field trip, mm-hmm. I'm going to be fingerprinted? You what what, what, so, what, would, so what compliance, would, People get offended yes, sometimes, like, oh, yes, yes, you're treating yes. me like a criminal. That's right. And, and, and we've really worked hard to kind of change that narrative. You know, um, I was in a conversation this morning with somebody that— you know, the unfortunate part with safe environment is that it came from such a horrible exactly. place. And so there's a stigma attached to safe environment. Sure We're the red tape. We're the department nobody wants to deal with. But but really, it's a department about creating an environment and a community of trusted adults and informed children. And uh, being able to drive and volunteer is 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 a privilege and um, just like I want to know that my children are safe you should want to know the same thing that I'm putting my child in somebody's car that they are fit to be driving they have a cleared background and they're current with training compliance is twofold it is the fingerprinting and it is the current training yeah I mean I I want every parent that's going to drive my kids to be Mm -hmm. fingerprinted and, and checked out I don't need to be. (laughs) Right. I'm okay. I'm okay, but I want all these others sort of like, like, I want term limits for everybody else's representative. I like mine, but, you know, and and it's, it's, uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, I have been fingerprinted and, Mm -hmm. and. It was it was it was kind of an interesting process, you know. I didn't know I didn't even know where do you go to get fingerprinted, right. you know, and right. and that kind of thing. But it was it was it was fine, and 
and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not offended, but right. uh, I, I can see some people. Some people would be here. I am. I'm giving my time. And, exactly. But but I think everybody understands. So, what would uh, what would eliminate a person? through this process from sure. where you, you have to say, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that's you, right. you're not so, going to be able to drive. That's right. So to create a, um, uh, uh, an accountable, um, equitable situation that's not arbitrary, we have a set protocol that, that we follow, that every, every background is reviewed against that protocol. There are obvious things that are that would preclude somebody from being employed or from volunteering, and I want to note all of our priests go through this same this sure, same sure. Um, screening as well. And internationally, we do international background checks on anybody coming in right. who you know any of our clergy who are coming in internationally. Um, but there there are a variety of things that would preclude somebody from volunteering. Obviously, a violent felony, anything that is sexual in nature. Um, or anything involving a child. Mm -hmm. Those would be automatic disqualifiers. Um, uh, um, We do have driving restrictions. Um, It may just simply mean that that person can't drive on the field trip, but perhaps they could volunteer Mm -hmm. in another capacity. Um, So we look at at everything, and we have that protocol that we follow um, diligently to ensure um, consistency and... um, uh, that we're not making just an arbitrary, right. you know, decision. So, I remember when when my kids were young, and even when I was young, and and you know, you'd be I don't know whether it was after mass or you were in a restaurant or something, and somebody would come up that maybe your mom knew or your dad knew, and and they would introduce the kids, or I would introduce my kids to these mm-hmm. people. And you always want you don't want the kids to be all shy and right. hiding. You want them to be kind of forthcoming and mm-hmm. happy and Polite. talkative. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, this is a stranger. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you, uh, it's, it, to me, it's a tough balance where, where you want your kids to welcome the stranger, right. to, to be engaging. And at the same time, you want them to be diligent. How do, how do you do that balance? You don't want to scare them. No, no. But that's a really difficult thing to navigate, yeah. kind of that creating that that balance. Um, that's one of the reasons why it's very, very important that children receive training on how to recognize boundary violations and to, to know what a trusted adult uh, would look like or, or feel like and um, uh, where they should go if, if something doesn't feel feel right. There's a lot of um, shame a lot of times with sure. with abuse um, and and children or young people are scared to tell their family especially or their parents especially if it's a you know within the family or right. it's a close right. friend. Um, we just don't ever want to stigmatize that um, that that this was not them. We want right. to make sure that it that they know that they can, if they come forward with something, we're proud of them. They did the right thing, right. and that's it. And we'll take care of it. Um, but it is hard to navigate that balance. You sure. know, you want your children to be polite and, sure. and you know say hello, but knowing and understanding where those boundaries lie um, and what to do if those boundaries are crossed is important for them to know. So. Boundary viol- a lot of boundary violations are not illegal. That's right. You know, where, what happens when you get a boundary, what somebody thinks is a boundary violation, mm-hmm. maybe it is, maybe it isn't, and it, probably there's some gray area there sure. even. Um, what do you do with that information? So it depends. It depends on... Um, on uh, the situation at, at hand. But when you look at grooming, and, and really grooming is all about those little tiny boundary, boundary violations. Steps, yeah, That's right. Yeah. How that person ingratiates themselves into right. the family, um, uh, how they start, um, uh, you know, oh, keep that a secret. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, ways that, that, that um, lead to eventual uh, sexual abuse, um, those are all boundary violations. And collectively, they lead to that result. Those those little things can take uh, 
a matter of months. They can go on for years and years and years before abuse happens. So, um, to the, where the person's completely trusted. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. So, do you take the boundary violation to the person? Who uh, in many cases, yes. Like here in our diocese, if it's brought to our attention, um, which it should be, you sure. know, um, we'll ask. We'll ask. You know the pastor to meet with that volunteer or the parent at the school. And, um, you know, those are opportunities to remove that person from volunteering. So, so what's the toughest part of your job? So the toughest part I would, I think initially when I first started here was when I would receive a notification from DOJ and there was something really terrible on there you see it in front of you. You know, I, I used to be scared to even hold those mm-hmm. reports. I'd see it in front of me. But the toughest part was recognizing that there was a victim at the bottom of that, that there was somebody that this happened to. And so um, it's not easy to tell somebody they're not cleared. Um, uh, you know, they're very defensive um, in many cases. But I just, I just hold true to that I know something happened to somebody right. and that's where that's where I need to focus my attention. Um, years ago, I had done a training with a um, large group up in the northern area of um, at one of our parishes. And there were some um, people who were very mad that they had to do a training and it, they were just upset and kind of fussing at me. And uh, uh, after the training, I kind of scurried out of there and a gentleman met me in the parking lot, and I thought, oh, he's going to fuss at me again, <laughs> you know, another group. And with tears in his eyes, he shared his story of abuse when he was a young mm-hmm. man. And just the um, the gratefulness that he felt um, that his church, that his faith was doing this, it somehow helped him with his own healing. So I carry his story with me each time, and um, I always always think of him. I don't know his name, but I always think of him uh, before I go to do a training or if I'm on the phone with somebody who's a little... Little difficult. Well, we're you know it, it, it's it's you don't. Uh, I, I'm sure there's a lot of times where you're not getting a lot of joy in your life from that, but you're doing the right thing for sure. Yeah. Um, we we're a church of redemption. We're a church of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a church that believes in second chances or third chances, or I think it's seven times 70, <laughs> you know, um, but the 491st time, mm-hmm. forget, <laughs> you know, forget it. it. <laughs> but how do you deal with that? Because this is, this is an area that has become, and I think rightfully so zero tolerance. It is zero tolerance. It is zero tolerance. And you know, the, the, um, idea that safe environment for many years was in addition to our faith Mm -hmm. or in addition to educating our children or in addition to is no longer it's an integral part of our faith community and um it can't just be my message or bishop's message or our superintendent's message it's collectively all of us um and uh I think when we really make that shift to recognize that that it is integral to who we are and what we do, um, the more we have in accepting that it's here. Yeah, and people just have to understand that. It that is. In this, yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean uh, uh, it doesn't no. mean you're banned from everything no. for life. But no. in the, in the, in this for regard, now, it does. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that's that's become, and, and I know Bishop Soto has been very firm about zero tolerance yes you know that we're we're sorry there's that's yes. just that's just the way it is yes and there are other places where somebody can can go to volunteer if they they feel that right calling right. So. wow so talk a little bit about circle of grace sure so circle of grace is the is the curriculum that that we adopted um 
gosh, I think we're in our fifth or sixth year now with Circle of Grace. Um, and the lessons are taught every year. Um, we require that the lessons are taught in the fall. Um, it's very difficult to come up with a curriculum that is in alignment with Catholic moral teaching um, where parents don't then think we're teaching sex education, uh-huh. which it right. is not. It is not. Um it's a very gentle program. Um, the lessons build year after year with vocabulary. Does it start in K? Or? It starts in kindergarten. Uh-huh. We have some of our schools who even use it at the TK level. Uh-huh. And um, uh, the lessons are taught in the fall. And then every site has to report back their training numbers um, by January 1st. Um, the, the lessons are very, very uh, simple and easy to follow. Um, but they're they're profound in in their simplicity, and uh, the entire curriculum is built on a meditation that, you know, when we raise our hands above us and below us and around us, God is in that mm-hmm. circle of grace. Mm-hmm. He's that close, um, and all of the lessons build off of that, and. Um, I think it's a lovely program. Parents do have the opportunity to opt their children out of the training. Um, um, materials are provided to them if they opt out with the idea that they will be reviewing the lessons, teaching them at home with the hopes of next year allowing their children to participate. We have very few opt-outs in our diocese. so. So how many volunteers do we have in our diocese? Um, so this last year, and again, we kind of go off of our audit of our audit um, of our audit information. It's collected every every site has to submit an audit notice right. identifying their volunteers and employees. And so this last year, um, we had just under um, a, just under ten thousand total volunteers wow. just in last year's. Um, 2020, 2021, 2022. What percentage of that cycle. would be in the schools? So um, we we don't break that down. Um, the vast majority of volunteers come from our uh, come from our schools. That's where most of our right. our uh, training and, and printing right. come from. So wow, that's yes. a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you think collectively over the years, and that kind of number kind of holds each year about the same. We had a little drop off with the pandemic um, and it's building back up. But, you know, around 13,000 a year. And if collectively we're training those people, you know, every few years and, and those people are background checked, if you think about where the, how that number grows over the course of 20 years, that's a lot of people. Wow. So it appears that this is all working. You know, of course, you know, the one thing we don't know, I mean, because we're seeing currently even cases coming from 50 years ago mm-hmm. yeah. or longer, but from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're saying, well, since this started, we're seeing very few. Mm-hmm. But do we know, can we be confident that it isn't, it isn't going to, you know, like in 50, in years, 20, in the, 50 yeah. years out, somebody from 2020 is going to say, oh, it happened to me in 2020. Yeah. but. I, you know, I didn't, you know, I suppressed it. I, right. all those reasons. Right. So it's, it's hard to say, it's hard to say what, but what we can go off are certain things. So we know, because uh, people will say, well, how do you know that circle of grace is working? Mm-hmm. How, how, well, I can't say, oh, well, I didn't get, you know, right. somebody abused last week right, because right. of the because of the training. But what is the what are the things we do know? We do know that every year, um, when Circle of Grace is taught, um, a child discloses something at least one. We usually get a, a handful, and then we have to report that information. Um, so that tells me that's working. Uh-huh. Um, uh, those are the things we look for. Our numbers of opt-outs have gone down over the years and are remaining about the same, very, very few opt-outs. So that tells me we're getting the information across to the, to the, to the kids. Um, I feel very confident with the safeguards that we do have in place. Um, we're so thorough as it relates to background checking um, and, and being able to respond 
instantaneously to arrest notifications. But I will say, I think one of the most critical parts is training adults Mm -hmm. in recognizing and knowing what things look like. So when you look at the fact that we, this last year, trained all of those people, that's a lot of people out there in our community who, who, who are aware, who 40 years ago weren't. And, you know, reporting laws have drastically changed, you know, over the, over the course of the past 50 years, child abuse, um, uh, um, and the definition of what's abuse and neglect has changed right. drastically right. since the you know the sixties and seventies even. So Well Katita, I hear nothing but praise and admiration for your work. Oh, so thank you. it's 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 great. It's great that uh, I'm, I'm glad you have the job, and I don't. Oh, but, thank uh, you. I know it's difficult work, but it's it's the Lord's work. It is. Well, it's my really my honor to serve to serve our church and our bishop and um, and our diocese. Well, thanks so much thank for joining you. us. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and longstanding support of the Bishop's Hour. Uh, this is Bishop William K. Wiegand, the Bishop Emeritus of Sacramento, and you're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Denning. Thank you, Bishop Wiegand, for all you have done and all you continue to do for our wonderful Diocese of Sacramento. We had a chance to sit down with Mark Hartfield, Vice President of Paradisus Dei, who is the producers of so many wonderful films. Uh, they have come out with The Mysteries of the Rosary. I highly recommend it, and we're going to bring you that interview now. Mark Hartfield, who is the Vice President of Paradisus Dei, uh, producers of the widely popular That Man Is You. It's a men's program, and Dan Johnson, uh, co-founder and creative director of 4PM Media. Mark, uh, welcome to the Bishop's Hour. Bob, thank you very much. I'm excited to be on the show today and talk about Mysteries of the Rosary. I hope I I said Paradisus correctly. You did really well. Paradisus Day is not that easy to say. Uh, It does stand for the Paradise of God. Yes. It's a Latin phrase. Yeah, I kind of knew the D-E-I because my wife took Latin. (laughs) There you go. Good job. But uh, appreciate it. The... The Rosary, wow, you know, it's been a, been a part of my life since I was a little kid. Um, I guess I probably didn't realize until adulthood, though, the power of the Rosary, the, 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 the power you hold in your hand. Um, uh, there, and there are times sometimes when we've 
can't find our rosary or we're uh, somewhere and, and we just didn't have a rosary with you, and you say a rosary on your, your uh, counting your fingers and toes. Yeah, and John Paul, I received so much of the inspiration from John Paul II in his apostolic letter on the rosary. He's urging Christians, Catholics, to rediscover the power of the rosary. And he specifically says, in light of Scripture. And what he means by that, I mean, when you look at the mysteries of the rosary, they outline the 20 key moments in the life of Christ. And so he says the rosary is Marian in nature, but at its heart, it's a Christocentric prayer, meaning Christ is at the center. And then he goes on in this letter to describe different ways in which we should be praying the rosary. And it's not just a repetitive prayer, um, but in, in, it's a contemplative prayer. So he says a sign of a meaningful and a fruitful rosary is a contemplation of Christ in association with the mystery at hand. What does that mean? <laughs> it means if you're praying the sorrowful mysteries, you know, the first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden, that we should be focused meditating on this agony in the garden through the eyes of Our Lady. So Our Lady helps us enter into contemplation. She knew Christ more profoundly, more intimately than anyone else. Um, she always had a contemplative gaze. So all throughout Scripture it always says she, um, she pondered these things in her heart. And so he says when we pray the rosary, we learn at the school of Mary. Um, he goes on and says that Mary's life was a rosary. That's a really, it's a short sentence, but it's a profound statement. Um, how can someone's life be a rosary? Well, it tells us what the rosary is. It's not a 15 or 20 minute prayer. It's a, it's a, a life of contemplating our Lord, contemplating his mysteries. And the rosary serves as a method into that contemplation. It's not an end of itself. It's a, if it's, it's a beginning. It leads us into communion with God. And so what the series does is we, we go to the Holy Land. We take the viewer to all these spots. And, you know, I touch my rosary to all the spots where heaven, you know, kissed the earth and our Lord walked uh, and walked the road to Calvary. And we, we do reflective uh, commentary. So there's, there's talks, there's stories. We have guest speakers. We're not actually praying the rosary during the series. But we have an episode each on each of the Sorrowful Mysteries. Um, and so the viewer watches the 30-minute episode, and by the end of it, um, they should be deep, in, <laughs> deep into the contemplation of whatever mystery we're talking about. And the aspiration is that they'll never pray the rosary the same. Hmm. Um, just like someone who's been to the Holy Land says that, you know, they come back and they're like, I'm never the same, and the rosary becomes a living gospel for them. We're trying to help people do that you know, from the comfort of their own living room. <laughs> uh, you can watch this series in your house uh, by yourself, with your family, with your spouse, or you can, you know, do it at a parish hall with a large, large or small group. That's the goal of the series. Wow. Very, very, very well put. Yeah, the, the uh, um, you, you mentioned, you know, it's, it's Marian in nature, the rosary, the 20 mysteries, but... Why, why is Mary? Uh, I mean, Mary is the mother of Christ. So it, how could it not be anything about Mary? Is almost by definition Christ-centric. Mm. She is. She is Christ-centric. You know, I was looking at the the, the visitation. Right, we're, we're getting ready to go do the joyful mysteries this coming May, and in her magnif Magnificat, right, she says, "My soul." magnifies the Lord. Right. So just even looking at that statement, what does a magnifying glass do? Right? It, it shines, you know, it, it zooms in on something and displays it. It yep. shows you the hidden features within it. It makes something, an actual magnifying glass, you know, the analogy falls a little short, it makes something bigger than it even is. Yeah, exactly. You can't do that with God. But um, when we look at the soul of Mary, her soul magnifies the Lord. And so she always leads us to Christ, right? Yep. She's always leading us to him. And so, um, yeah, she's just a beautiful example and model. Um, and so, yeah, we, we enter into the school of Mary through the rosary. But the idea is, and I think if someone goes through this first series, which is the Sorrowful Mysteries, they're going to be like, boy, you're talking about Jesus the whole time. I thought this was the rosary. <laughs> and we're going to say precisely. <laughs> 
We're talking well, about Jesus's mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I remember when when uh, Saint John Paul II came up with the luminous mysteries, the mysteries of light, whatever mm-hmm. people want to refer to them as. And I was kind of, I guess I was kind of stunned, if you will. Um, uh, like, I didn't know you could do that. Right. You know, it was like somebody hitting 900 home runs and b- breaking Henry Aaron's record. I'm going, I didn't know you could do that. You know, that's I, right. I, I did. Right. I, I, I mean, I grew up uh, with the rosary. I grew up with the, the, the sorrowful mysteries and the, and the, the joyful mysteries and the glorious mysteries. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> there were other mysteries in my life, but but th- those were the 15 mysteries. And I, I didn't, it was kind of, uh, it was almost as sacred as Scripture that there were 15, you know. Right. And, and to, then to see, even though it was the Pope who did it, you know, like I'm going, I guess he can do that. But I, I was, I was, at first I was stunned. I wasn't offended or anything, but I was stunned. I was like, oh, right. I didn't know you could have 20. Will we one day have 25? And, you know, you're missing, you know, before he did that, we go from Jesus being 12 to all of a sudden, you know, walking his passion. Right, so it was right. Ni- it's nice, you know, he goes from being 12 to being in the agony of the garden. So he kind of bridged the gap with those luminous mysteries. He does something else in that letter I didn't know you could do. And we talk about it in the first episode, and this isn't something Catholics have to do. But it's real nice. It's changed my life completely, and how I pray the rosary, and I've seen it totally renew the rosary for some folks. But he talks about, in the same letter that he gave to Luminous Mysteries, he talks about the Jesus, the name of Jesus being the center of gravity or the hinge of the Hail Mary. What he means by that is, when you actually pray the Hail Mary, Jesus' name is the hinge which joins the Hail Mary to the Holy Mary. Mm. Thy womb, Jesus. And then he says in certain customs in the church, they add a short phrase. That's the part I didn't think you could do. <laughs> so, for example, if you're praying uh, the agony in the garden, you would just pray, Thy womb, Jesus, in his agony. Oh, wow. Well. Your mother is God. And so you pray that for all ten of the Hail Marys, and for the scourging, you could just pray Jesus scourged, and then Jesus crowned with thorns, mm-hmm. Jesus carrying his cross, Jesus crucified. Um, and you could put whatever phrase you want in there, just really short. But right. what it does is it immediately uh, reminds you of the mystery at hand. And so almost everyone I've spoken to, including myself, has a little spiritual ADD, especially when praying the rosary. Sure. And this little simple practice that John Paul, um, he says it's a praiseworthy practice, especially in public prayer. And so it, it, can, it can allow us to do what the rosary is meant to be. Right? Not just finishing 53 Hail Marys as a checklist, but no, to put us in communion with the living God. So the aspiration of the rosary, the goal isn't to finish it, as much as that's what we make the goal. Our goal is to encounter Christ, right? Thanks be to God when we finish the rosary. I try to do that every single day. But the goal is an encounter with Christ, right? And that's what he's saying we have to rediscover. Yeah, so and, the and, of the Hail Mary is really he, quite beautiful. He's right. I mean, and you're being very honest. Uh, <laughs> like so many of us have ADD when you're, but it just, our minds wander. They wander. And they really wander. And I, I, I remember, um, uh, I will I will frequently pray the rosary. I, I'm about a half an hour from from where I do the show from home. And I will, will pray the rosary on the way in. Uh, uh, no, no state has yet banned driving, praying the rosary while driving. We've, <laughs> we've wisely banned some other things that you shouldn't do while driving, but, but the, nobody's banned the rosary as long as you, you know, it should be like the phone it should be hands-free. You know, That's you don't, right. you don't want to endanger anybody else or yourself because you've got both hands on the rosary. But, um, seriously though, um, I, I, I can remember, you know, you finish a decade and, and you go, gee, I was, I was thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. What, sure. what's yeah. what, you know, like, what's the matter with me? That's right. Yeah. I tell people, you know, like it's almost, um, no one's going to pray it perfectly. Right. So we kind of have to embrace our humanity in that way. But 
not unlike baseball, right? If you're batting 400, you're going to be the greatest player of all time. <laughs> yeah. If we can, <laughs> if we do a mindless <laughs> decade, you know, if, if there's a little trick to instead of the mindless decade, man, what if four out of these ten Hail Marys, I was really locked in. I really, I, mean, I, 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 just I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, God can truly change your life. He can change the way we pray. So often it's not that we need to pray more. For some of us, we need to pray more. But people who have a prayer life, we need to learn how to pray well. They right? can make our prayer fruitful. Right? God, I'm going to give you this time. Gosh, help me enter in more deeply to the prayer. Um, that's what we're that's what we're going for with this series, and I think if we can do that, uh, truly we can we can change the world. Indeed, you know I I love that analogy about hitting four hundred. Uh, um, I do uh, color commentary on college baseball telecasts, <laughs> and uh, um, just the other day it was opening season for college baseball, and I made that very point. Uh, the guy came up and. And his first game of the year, but he had hit 356 the previous year. Mm. And I said, I said, you know, that sounds great. And he was, he was a leading hitter on the team. And I said, but that means 65% of the time they got him out. Yeah, most likely he's going to get out right now. That's yeah, most bad. likely, two <laughs> times out of three. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. To, to think that so yeah so if 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 you if you hit the rosary at a 400 clip that's you know yeah. you're 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 better than any current baseball player you have to go back to Ted Williams before anybody that's, else did it that's so that's right that's yeah. right so so yeah so it's it's contemplative and so we have to relearn that rediscover that it's also a weapon so whether we're contemplative or not if we are offering the time and you know, we're, we're encouraging people never let a decade go by without an intention. Mm-hmm. And that's when the rosary really, you know, became daily for me. Uh, that for some reason, even though I loved Our Lady, consecrated my life to her multiple times, and on and on and on, going to Mass every day, for the longest time the rosary never stuck, like as a daily prayer. Mm-hmm. And it finally changed for me when I started offering each decade for a very, very specific intention. And most of the time in the prayer life, like anything else in life, it's just getting started, mm-hmm. right? So for me, I made the first decade, you know, I've got to pray for my wife every day by name, whatever she's going through, spiritual protection over her. You know, where's Adam when Eve is, you know, taking the forbidden fruit? He's right there doing nothing. So the idea was get in the game. If you're not praying for your spouse, who is? So now all of a sudden I'm like, I have to grab my rosary, right? I, I'm going to dedicate one decade, uh, one decade for my wife, Katie. And then the second decade, my children. You know, I have four of them, so Maria, Claire, Lucy, Colby. And by the time I do that, I'm 40% done. <laughs> I'm, good, I'm, I'm most likely going to finish. I have intentions for the other three decades as well. But those first two uh, are so core to my calling as husband and father, my vocational calling, like, more than just providing physically for my family, it's spiritually. Uh, you know, ushering in the grace they need for that day through the promised channel of the rosary. And so I can't think of a better way besides, you know, Mass itself. Um, it's, the, it's the most perfect prayer. All the while we're learning about Jesus, <laughs> and he's transforming us. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're just ushering in so much grace. But you know, <laughs> the, the the rosary is it, it's so spe- it's so special in my life. I remember, oh boy, thirty years or so ago, and uh, I, I, I was never a fallen away Catholic, but uh, I guess I could say less passionate. Uh, maybe um, not sure yep. what, what the best way to describe it. It wasn't like I said I'm not going to mass anymore. I don't believe any of this stuff. And it was not, nothing like that. But but I hadn't prayed the rosary probably since I was a kid with any any regularity. And it was a it was a Saturday, a lazy Saturday, and and I got a knock at the door, and it was the mayor of our small town, and not Catholic, and he had just come back from a trip to Europe 
And as part of seeing this, the sites, went to the Vatican. It wasn't anything to do with being a pilgrimage or being right. a religious person or anything. And he said, hey, I saw the Pope, you know, and he's kind of joking me, you know. I mean, he's one of those kind of a jokester anyway, you know. And he says, I brought you a present. And I said, oh, what would you, you bring me? And he pulls out a rosary. And he hands it to me. And I'm thinking, this is the most unusual moment in my life. This mayor, who who just it's just not part of his deal. He definitely wasn't Catholic. Or, or I, I won't say whatever. You know, people can speak for themselves. But he, he hands me this rosary almost like it was a gag gift. Hmm. You know, but not in a mocking way. It, like, he, he was being friendly. I mean, he was being friendly, but he, like... I'm in Europe. I want to bring, bring Bob this uh, a gift of some kind. Oh, how about this from from the Vatican? This would be mm-hmm. a, a perfect little gift. Like, like I went to Rome and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. You know that kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he hands me this rosary, and then you know we exchange pleasantries, and I ask him about his trip, and he hops in his car and gets on his way. And um, I was a news, newspaper columnist in the town, so that's how I knew him. And um, anyway, so I thought, wow, I, I'd be, I better do something with this rosary. I'd better maybe pray this rosary. And I went for a walk, and we live we live in a town, but it's it's in a rural area where you get two minutes into your walk, you're out of town, and you're in some of the most fertile fields in in on the in the world and we outside of town with this big huge irrigation ditch which is it's paved you know but it's a it's probably eight ten feet deep and and you know when they're irrigating the crops it's full of water that's flowing from you know the various dams we've built in california and but it was it was summer so it was it was dry. It had already, you know, all the irrigation had taken place. It was dry, so it was this, this big canal paved, you know, concrete but empty, and probably a perfect place for skateboarders. Yeah. And I'm walking on this 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 dirt path next to this this empty concrete ditch, if you will, and I come upon a bigger than life size image painted on this like like graffiti gets painted yep of our lady of guadalupe i knew you were going to say that for some reason and <laughs> i j- just got chills everywhere and wow. um i i i have that rosary in my hand and i'm like i call her our lady of the ditch you know wow. and wow. i'm like i i have never ever gotten over that story ever wow praise god you know and, and i thought and, you yeah. know as you say someone says oh that's a great coincidence and you go yeah with god there are no coincidences there's no, yeah there's so many as we've begun this project and started to speak with people i mean countless miracle stories yeah. of i mean if we we put one video out about a month ago called the power of one hail mary mm-hmm. so if someone does a youtube for the rosary series the power of one hail mary and there's an incredible two-minute um, miracle story. It almost has 150,000 views already. It's just wow. so good uh, and so beautiful. Just one Hail Mary, and, you know, our, our Lord shows up. Um, so we have, like you said earlier, to start the call, a power in our hands, this power of this rosary. Um, so we want people to rediscover it, as John Paul II asked us to. Um we're excited about the project. It's at therosaryseries.com, and anybody can um, go partake of it. And right now, it's the it's the the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning of thorns, the carrying of the cross to Calvary, and the crucifixion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. The first series is done uh, on the sorrowful mysteries. The way it works, it's seven episodes. The first episode is an introduction on prayer and the rosary and the power of the rosary. The last episode's a conclusion. So the five in the middle, uh, namely number two through six, walk through those five decades just as you just as you said. The full scope of the project will be to go back to the Holy Land uh, three more times, and we'll, we will film the joyful, the luminous, and the glorious. 
So by the time it's all said and done, we will have all the mysteries of the rosary, one episode each on all of them, um, and have walked through these 20 key moments in the life of Christ. So the rosary, that's what's so cool. It's, it's a weapon, right? Uh, it's also a contemplative. It's also catechetical. In the rosary, we meet Jesus. We walk through his life. We walk through people through the Gospels. Um, so it's so beautiful in that way. And even originally when it was given to St. Dominic, Our Lady's first word, do you, not, do you know the weapon the Blessed Trinity wants to use to reform the world? And then he used it as a teaching. He used it as a catechetical method to teach about Christ. So very, very beautiful. So much. It's so dense. It's so rich. Um, the hardest part is making the episodes 30 minutes. <laughs> um, so you you're quoted in the, in in the uh, kind of the the whatever the 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 sheet that uh, ex, ex, explanatory sheet that uh, uh, Carmel Communications put out and you you say that that we think of the rosary or, or prayer so many people in our faith think of prayer as a last resort we are trying to flip that orientation prayer should be our first response, and there is an urgency to be in that contemplative and constant prayer right now in the world. Amen to that. Amen. Yeah, we, we talk about that in the first episode that, you know, in our culture, a Hail Mary is, a, you know, a last resort at the end of a football game. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, as I say, it's fine and good for football. Um, and even in our prayer life, like, thanks be to God, we have a God who even answers those prayers. You know, he's attentive when we haven't prayed in 20, 30, 40 years. And our Lord, in his humility and really his love for us, gosh, I've heard countless rock-bottom stories, but God even answers those prayers. But that's not our goal, right? And Christ wants us to grow up into a mature spirituality, and that we turn to prayer as a first resort, right? And I just think we live in a time where, we can all see the world kind of, so to speak, falling apart before our eyes, whatever phrase you want to use for it, hell in a handbasket. Um, and we, 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 like the Israelites, we like to complain. Uh, we murmur in the desert, and the Lord gives us these promises, right? If my people who, you know, will turn their face and turn to me and pray, humble themselves and pray and repent, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. I believe that, you know? I think the Lord makes these promises, and if we turn to him, we repent, and gosh, isn't that what Lent is all about, um, and pray that he will pour out his blessings. And so the rosary is one really sound way in which to do that. Yes. Uh, amen. So, yeah, you, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the Hail Mary, the last resort in uh, in, uh, in football. football. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, as a newspaper columnist, I, I, I wrote about this. Uh, the University of California was playing Notre Dame this fall in football, and it did come down to the last play where Cal, as we call them, uh, had a chance to tie the game with, with, with a Hail Mary. Yep. And and I, I, I remember commenting at the time that uh, that there's one place – that the Hail Mary will not work, and that's in the shadow of touchdown Jesus. <laughs> if you're playing Notre Dame, that's you know right. it's like. Yeah, that's right. That's funny. Was, I said you you can try anything you want to, but don't try a Hail Mary when you're playing Notre Dame. <laughs> that's hilarious. I just realized. Well, you can figure out I'm a sports guy. I gave a baseball reference, a football reference, but believe it or not, I'm actually was a basketball player growing up. <laughs> yeah. So I, I need a now. I need a basketball analogy, but. No, that's funny. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's 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 interesting. I, I you know, as as a sports writer, I want to go back and find out who. It must be common knowledge, but I don't know it. Who first used that term "Hail Mary" in a football game? Hmm. And I don't know if it was a sports writer or a commentator or a coach. Maybe afterwards said, "Oh, that was a Hail Mary for us." You know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I remember Doug Flutie. Uh, that specifically, that pass 
that won the game, and everybody referred to it as a Hail Mary. That's my first memory of somebody using the term Hail Mary. That was when he was playing for Boston College, not as a pro. And uh, but I don't remember prior. I don't remember growing up with that term. I bet I bet someone will find it. And it does. It speaks to something, though, right? It speaks to a culture that once upon a time was uh, a Christian culture. Yeah, and I I would love to to know the backstory. If if that if somebody pulled that out of thin air or where I'm going to research that. I'll let I'll let you know. Let me know. Yeah, I'd love to know that. Yep. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and maybe by the next time we speak, we'll have twenty-five mysteries. Who knows? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> then see that'll you'll have to make a whole other series. They they might. I have I have I have dreamed about that one time, and I never got around to doing it. But uh, once upon a time, it was a, a family member of mine who was very very sick, and I prayed a rosary. Um, I put together a rosary and sent it to a few people of just um, miracles. Of healing that took place in the gospel. Mm-hmm. You think about all the occasions of that, and you know, you could definitely um, pray in that way, meditating upon a particular miracle that, that took place in the gospel. You know, the healing sure. of Lazarus, or you know, Bartimaeus, and, and so on and so forth. And just, gosh, I was compassionate. I want heals. So we can we can contemplate any of the mysteries of Christ. Yeah. And ask our lady for her prayers to intercede on her behalf in that way. So, of all your experiences doing this in the in the Holy Land, was there one that just really stuck with you? One that was most profound? One that was maybe different than what you expected? Yeah, this is going to sound different than probably what you expected to do as well. Because I went in expecting, okay, I'm going to go to the Holy Land. It's just it's the holiest place on earth, and so most likely I'm just going to be in deep prayer probably levitating, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. very much romanticized what it would be like. And to my surprise, inside the walls of Jerusalem, I felt a fair amount of tension, and I specifically felt Our Lady's tension. Hmm. And I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And then very specifically at the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, uh, where to this day there's still a fair amount of turmoil and t- tension between right. specifically the Jews and, and, and the Muslims. So... I couldn't wrap my mind around why I was feeling this until I got back, and it began to more and more become unveiled to me that, you know, six of Our Lady's seven sorrows, Our Lady has seven sorrows, um, they took place in Jerusalem, hmm. right? Not in Nazareth, not in Bethlehem, in Jerusalem. So this was a place for her. Um, she's human, right? <laughs> she's human emotions and human feelings, and so she would have very much felt the tension. This is a place where, you know, Simeon tells her her heart's going to be pierced by a sword. Mm-hmm. This is where she lost Christ, the Christ child. This is where he went into his agony and his death and was crucified. Um, and the one sorrow that she didn't experience there came forth from there. Right, the flight to Egypt, they had to leave because of the political corruption and power that Herod was going to you know, the massacre of the innocents. And so they fled because of Jerusalem, the power within Jerusalem. And so it was wild. Um, I wasn't expecting to feel that. And I think still to this day, um, with all the tension there, that Our Lady is our spiritual mother. And I, I think a mother's heart breaks for her children. Yep. So it's not in a way that she's looking down, you know, trying to chastise or something like that. It's more like, I think she weeps over us. Mm-hmm. As our Lord wept over Jerusalem, I felt that as well, and I could sense her sorrow, um, that this is a place where he won our salvation. Her son triumphed over sin, sin, and death, and offers us so much. He offers us this freedom. He offers us joy. And yet, we choose to still be in bondage through sin, and gosh... I think that's a deep sorrow for Our Lady to this day. Um, it's hard to wrap your mind around, but I, I felt it in my bones. Um, it, was, it was quite an experience that I'm, I'm still processing. Wow. So well, she's she joyful, but she's also <laughs> Our Lady's sorrow. Yeah, indeed. Mark Hartfield, uh, 
Vice President of Paradisus Dei. Uh, thanks so much for for putting together this series. And I know you didn't do it alone, and you're you're very generous to crediting everybody. But um, uh, this, uh, we just really appreciate your time. I hope you will not be a stranger to this program. We would love to hear more from you. Thank you for having me on. Yep, check it out at therosaryseries.com. Very good. Can I pour my heart out to a listening ear? But I see this life, it's valleys and mountains And I think of all the roads that brought me here Oh, that brought me here Walking down, walking down the road Well, I've questioned my reasons This life I'm living I question my ability to judge wrong from right. Well, I questioned all the things I've ever called certain.